Well, this morning we are on uh, sermon number eight of eight sermons in the book of Jeremiah. And as I said in introducing this series, we're just scratching the surface of this book and just choosing these eight passages that we've chosen. But the one that we've chosen for today to end this series is probably one of the greatest hits passages in Jeremiah as well. And it is the oracle about the, the new covenant, the promise of a new covenant with God. And we have to remember that as Jeremiah utters this oracle of this promise of this new covenant, he is saying it to people who, many of whom are in exile in Babylon and others who are either facing the impending doom of Jerusalem or who have just suffered that. What Jeremiah is saying in this oracle is that this exile, this destruction, these are not the last words. But there is a new covenant. There is another word to be spoken. And this new covenant is, in some senses, if you read scripture, not really all that new. A reading of the Bible will tell you that what Jeremiah says is the new covenant is actually a new depiction of what God has intended from the beginning for us. Relationship with himself relationship between all of creation and himself. And so let's look at Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, help us to see the big picture, always remembering that your invitation is persistent, your love is steadfast, that your invitation to us to break up our fallow ground, to open our hearts to you, is one that you have been making since the beginning of time. And we thank you this day for the way you have made it to us in and through your Son. And we pray this prayer of thanksgiving in his name. Amen. So I think when I was in junior high, 8th and ninth grade, my sister Nancy, who was always driving, she's four years older, she was driving before I was driving, obviously, and she attended this Bible study, a kind of community Bible study in a home not far from where we lived and would occasionally take me or my me and some of my friends uh, as well to this bible study and i always enjoyed it it was older older high school students and then also young adults that were at this neighborhood bible study that that we attended and i especially liked the singing it was fun to go and sing and one of the songs that we sang that was especially fun was this one called heaven is a wonderful place it was like a camp song, you know, I mean, and you get, 
you get people interested in singing fun songs by breaking it up between the guys and the girls and doing different things like that. And, and this particular one, I'm going to demonstrate it for you here. Uh, the guys would sing this bass line. It, it sounded kind of like a tuba or plucked out on a string bass, but it went like this. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. And then that. the girls would come in with, Heaven is a wonderful place. It's filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. And then it would go on and on and on. Until I'm done. It was a very fun song to sing. But I have to confess to you that at the age of 13 or 14, I loved singing the song, but I was lying a little bit when I said at the end, I want to go there. <laughs> at 13 or 14, I was more interested in some other wonderful things that I wanted to experience before I went to heaven. Um, but as I consider that song today, one of the things that I know is that it sings about three things that the scriptures say are really characteristics of heaven, whether it's a, a place, a state of being, or whatever it is. And none of us really know what it is. We, we have to go on what the metaphors are in scripture or what others who have had near-death experiences tell us about this sort of thing. But none of us really know until we get there. But yet, what is true about the scriptures and the way that they describe heaven is there's three things in this song that, that really describe it. Three words, glory, grace, and face. Glory is that sense of God's presence, that sense of, of God's weightiness, that, that heaven about, is about more than anything else an experience of the fullness of the presence of God. It's about grace. It's about God's favor. It's about that sense of love and peace, God's best, shalom, that we experience when we are in relationship with God, fully in relationship with God and fully in God's presence. And it's about God's face. That line, I want to see my Savior's face, that's beholding the face of God is to behold in some ways, face to face, the reality uh, of the one who created us and the reality of the relationship for which we were created and the presence of that experience of relationship. So whether we talk about a place and the physical characteristics of the place is not half as important in scripture as these relational qualities that are described because we're fully in the presence of God. And in some ways, Jeremiah's promise of the new covenant is, is kind of one of these heavenly promises. It's a promise of oneness. It's a promise of, of perfect relationship with God. He says it's, it's not like the old covenant. It's not like simply a list of religious practices or merely a list of religious practices which is what we often turn relationship with God into. 
is just the stuff we're supposed to do in order to please him. But Jeremiah says it's not like the old covenant. It's not something that emphasizes obedience to the law or the the practice of the, the rite of circumcision. But it's a circumcision of the heart. It's a breaking up of that fallow ground. It's the openness, the wide openness of our hearts to God who has opened his heart wide to us. Heaven is about transformation with God and oneness with God. No longer, as Jeremiah says, will we need to teach one another about knowing the Lord. Uh, You know, this is the thing that Revelation says as well about heaven, is that pastors are sort of, preachers are unnecessary. Why have someone declare something that is painfully obvious to everyone? Blatantly obvious to everyone, joyously obvious to everyone. So no longer do we teach one another, says Jeremiah, about knowing the Lord. The precepts that help you to know the Lord are not the thing that we're declaring any longer because you will know the Lord. And yet in in another sense, as I've said, what Jeremiah is talking about is really not fully new. It's the story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, and that's a story of a God who creates us for himself. A God who creates us with a primary purpose in mind, and that is to be in relationship with him. A God who creates us for union with him. Perfect relationship with the ones that he's created for the primary reason of simply being in relationship with one another. And the other texts that we read in the context of worship this morning really all give witness to this. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, is God saying, I have what you need. And if you're thirsty, come and drink the water that I'm offering. If you're hungry, come and eat the bread that I'm offering to you. Why is it that you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen to me. Incline your ear. Come to me. Eat what is good. And I'll share with you that steadfast love that I have had from the beginning. Or Jeremiah 4, break up your fallow ground. What a great image. Make the soil of your life pliable to the seed that God wants to to plant in you. Open your heart, circumcise your heart, tear the foreskin from your heart, tear that which separates you from God away from your heart that God might gain access to your heart. Or Revelation 21, the passage that depicts heaven as a place, but it depicts it as this new Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God and a completely recreated Jerusalem. And then the proclamation, the home of God is among mortals. The desire of God is to be with God's creation. The desire of God is ultimate reconciliation with all that God has created. So friends, when it comes to a discussion of heaven, what we need to keep in mind is that heaven is the perfect fulfillment, the complete knowledge 
an experience of what we can know in part right now. It's not something we have to wait in order to receive. It's not something we have to die where we have to die in order to receive it. But this glory, this grace, this face of God, this message of the gospel, if it's anything, it's the assurance that God actually wants more than anything else to be with us. Not wait for us to prove ourselves to him. And that God has gone so far as to actually seek us out in and through the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And that God does not cease in making the invitation to take up this relationship that he offers, this relationship for which we were created. This past week, I was in a text conversation with my son and daughter-in-law. They have spent most of the, the last month, middle of September to now the middle of October, they, they've been living in Spain. One of those lovely implications of COVID is that you can actually do your job from Spain if you want to do it nine hours before <laughs> and um, work from 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. or something like that. I don't know what the, how they're doing that, but they've also had the opportunity to do a lot of touring. And I had a text conversation with them last week where they were coming to me from Santiago de Compostela in the northwest of Spain, where there's the, the massive cathedral, Santiago, of St. James. St. James relics are supposedly located there, and there's a big shrine to them. And they sent me pictures from the inside, and, and uh, we were having a, a good time just chatting on text about where they were and what they were experiencing. And I was reminded as I read those texts and saw those pictures of what we do in this world, our history is to build great buildings. Scripture details that in the building of various temples, at least two of them. Great buildings, houses of God that remind us of our size in comparison to God and remind us of the greatness of God next to our own smallness as God's created beings. But what the scriptures always do and, and what we're always reminded of when we go into these great cathedrals and, and temples is that no house has ever been built that can contain God. That doesn't keep us from trying. <laughs> and we keep building. But we, we build to give witness to a truth that the house itself actually ultimately you know, becomes a, a, a confirmation of the truth that, that we can't build a house big enough to contain God. And so what we always need to remind ourselves of or need to work at reminding ourselves of is that God actually prefers a much smaller space. He prefers that space that we might offer him in our hearts. And once that's done, we get ushered into actually a much bigger space than any cathedral could ever point to. And that's the space that we occupy in his heart. 
which is a broad and open space that keeps inviting us, as C.S. Lewis would say, further up and further in to a relationship that we can never fully fathom, that we can never fully probe the depths of, but are always growing into a deeper and deeper awareness of the deep love of Jesus. Heaven is a wonderful place, and that's not just something we have to wait for. That's not just something we only get when we die. It's something we do, and it's something that we are right now. Something that we can grow into right now, and something in which we can continue to grow on into eternity. And so the words are appropriate to hear again, break up your fallow ground. Circumcise your hearts. Stop spending your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Open your ears to God's persistent invitation to receive what will satisfy us and satisfy our hunger and thirst for eternity. For we live in the hope of heaven but we also live now in full awareness of a God who wants relationship with us right now. And so St. Paul says it well at the end of his magnificent description of resurrection and that day and transformation and all of those images that we associate with heaven. At the end of that description, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and my parentheses, right now. <laughs> because in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Lord, take us beyond our stunted imaginations and our feeble attempts to capture you in places that will not capture you. And lift our eyes to the horizon, to the broad and open space of your grace and help us to dwell in that space understanding that the journey is never ending but also one of constantly arriving at the truth that your love is steadfast and that there is nothing that can separate us from you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.